and my name is Karen Wright, and joining me now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are things over near Heartland, Minnesota? Hey, they're very good. A little nippy out there, but it's, uh, boy, it's awfully nice. You know, we, we'll, we're getting all the winter probably here early in January. We'll probably hit 70 degrees <laughs> or something, don't you think? Well, last year in February, I remember that we hit the 70s. I couldn't believe it because we had a problem with our house. Uh, we had to replace a wall, so there was 70s, and so the guys were out there digging holes to get to the, the, the walls to put the new blocks in and take out the old wall. And lo and behold, within the next few days, while they were the, the house was halfway open, it got to be down in the 20s. So go figure. Yeah, and um, I should have looked it up to what year that was, but one March where we didn't get a single snowflake for the whole month. <clears throat> Really? So that's, uh, yeah, it's pretty strange. So it was just because uh, so many of us remember all this, the snowstorms, the blizzards around the uh, high school basketball tournament time in March. And this one particular March, again, I should have looked it up what year it was, but I know a lot of people will remember it. We didn't get a single snowflake, nothing at all in March, which was Oh, it was nice, but yet kind of creepy in a way, too, because you just think, boy, the shoe's going to drop tomorrow. Yeah, right. Kind of the feeling and saying tomorrow we'll probably get about eight feet now because we're, we just, you know, good Minnesotans, we feel that, um, uh, you know, things can't be too good. We worry if things are too good, if things are going too well, because we figure, oh, my goodness, something something's going to happen because we've got it too good here, so... We just always, uh, as Minnesotans, we kind of figure things will average out, which is probably true because we get uh, we get a certain amount of good weather and a certain amount of bad weather, and everybody's definition of good weather and bad weather differs greatly. So, somebody, uh, some of us might look out at three feet of snow and say this is the worst thing ever, and somebody else will look out there and say this is the best day we've ever had. So. It's uh, there's weather. The nice thing about Minnesota is there's weather suitable for pretty much everybody, and also uh, weather suitable for driving everybody out of state. Also, what would we talk about if it weren't for weather? Really, in in Minnesota, when you think about it. And I've I've thought about that through the years, where <laughs> I've met I've made friends, and the first time we've talked was about weather. Saying, sure. Oh, man, this and and uh, then we just got so we you know got to know each other a little bit more and all of a sudden we became friends thanks to maybe miserable weather probably is what brought us i'm looking at a blue jay here it's just he's looking in the window and he's a little while ago uh, somebody sent me a thing i have a a series of books are called bent life history and it's not from bent lives it's from a guy by the last name of bent oh and they're, they're old old books but they're still uh, they're fun to read and he kind of gives a lot of human characteristics to birds but i looked one up in uh, it said about the blue jay mr bent wrote the blue jay is a strong healthy looking bird noisy and boisterous he gives us the impression of being independent lawless haughty, even impudent, with a disregard for his neighbor's rights and wishes, like Hotspur, as we met him in Henry the Fourth, Part One. So, yeah, they kind of give that. Um, they kind of give that impression when you look at blue jays like whoa that guy thinks he's something but i th- I just think they're really cool birds i just love seeing them they're so beautiful and in the fall of the year we get a lot of muted colors and then the blue jay just brings out this beautiful blue color 
And when we get a lot of snow on the ground in winter, he becomes even more beautiful. So I think if he wants to strut a little bit, and I'm saying he, but um, she's well, do so do it. But I imagine the male is better at strutting. But if he wants to strut a little bit, boy, more power to him. I just think he's lovely. I got a um, nice um, email from a listener, Karen, who... Uh, said, Al, I I remember years ago when you were on the Boone and Erickson show. I'm remembering correctly, am I not? Um, yeah, you are. <clears throat> I um, And what brought this all up is Roger Erickson, mm-hmm. uh, who was a WCCO radio legend, and he offered generations of Minnesotas a laugh over their morning coffee and their morning commute and he brought the news of the day and those wonderful school closing information on snowy days. And Boone and Erickson were a morning show, or was a morning show, at, uh, I think it was 38 years they were on there when Charlie and Roger had it. And Roger was kind of uh, an icon even more so for a lot of us around here because he grew up on a farm near Winthrop, Minnesota. I didn't know that. Okay. And for me, was also Bozo the Clown on WCCO-TV, <laughs> which was a pretty cool thing to be. But they, um, all folksy, I would say. Maybe they, they kind of, the way they were, they would do um, oh, skits and sketches about Hollywood actors and Minnesota governors to state troopers. And uh, I used to be on there on a rare occasion, and I wrote quite a bit of stuff that was on that show, so... That was nice of some someone to remember from that many years ago. But when it you was, uh, when you say you wrote stuff, did you do skits or what kind of things did you write for them? Yeah, little smart alecky things, and uh, yeah, yep. Then they ended up in their skits and a lot of the stuff they did. So it was, and um, they were both wonderful guys. And uh, Rogers passing here just reminded me he was one of the nicest people I ever met. Mm. He was just a tremendous fellow, and so. Um, I appreciate uh, somebody remembering that, and I appreciate Roger for allowing uh, us, because I was just a whippersnapper then, for allowing a young fellow to be involved and to come up on the um, state fair days and get on WCCO radio. When Karen, and boy, those days, about half the radios in Minnesota were turned WCCO you know, days. I remember that even because we lived just over the border in Wisconsin, and WCCO, I think, was the one, too, because it was a, a big, powerful signal, and there wasn't so much competition with all the other things we've got nowadays. I, I know a neighbor's wife who was... Um, trying to drag her husband to church and he didn't want to go you know and it's hard to get him to go and um she said the only thing he worships is wcco so that was kind of the thing that's funny um we have on november 11th and that'd be a saturday and on sunday november 12th the national eagle center this is in wabasha will offer complimentary admission to not all act not just active duty military personnel but also veterans in honor of Veterans Day. So all weekend, military veterans can come and meet the nation symbol up close and in person. So it's a wonderful place to visit over there in Wabasha. And if so, a lot of you vets, if you've not been over there, boy, make a make a trip of it over the weekend, and you'll enjoy it. Uh, Craig Raymond, a friend and old teammate who is a teacher down in Glenville, 
said he was driving down the road with some kids. I don't know what they're going on a field trip or who knows. They're moving some kids around. And they stopped because there was a large northern in the middle of the road. And he said, what in the world was a large northern doing in the middle of the road? And so he called and asked me. And I said, that's a real good question. I have no idea. You know, a kid could have put it there. A fisherman could have uh, thrown it out there. It could have been a mammal. So I'm going to say a mammal, a human, or, or you know, a coyote, a raccoon, anything like that probably would have brought it out in the middle, and who knows why dropped it there. It could be a dog in the neighborhood. It's uh, hard telling without a camera on the northern, I guess, how it really got there. <clears throat> Michelle May, who lives out out St. Clair Way, sent me a wonderful photo of a short-eared owl. Uh, I just love seeing short-eared owls. I think they're one of the most beautiful of owls. And they, um, she saw it while she was out in the tractor doing some work and snapped a photo of it, a nice photo. Uh, we don't see maybe as many short-eared owls as we used to. They uh, would work a lot of the marshy areas, and I just love having them around. Uh, Roger Davison sent me a thing. It's from the Star Tribune about the hurricane season takes tolls on birds. Uh, Roger said, an interesting read in today's Star Trib. Hope is hope all is going well for you, Al. I enjoy your KMSU bird program. Well, we enjoy you yeah. listening, Roger. And it went on to tell, primarily it's from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and quoting Andrew Farnsworth, who's a researcher there, who said, birds can be very resilient in the face of threats if their population is strong. There's ample habitat, and they are able to move among locations before and after storms pass. But, he said, birds can also be killed in very large numbers, and habitat destruction may become a big issue. And, uh, yeah, boy, they lose their habitat. As uh, we humans know, you lose your home. What are you going to do? John Nelson of Good Thunder saw a pair of trumpeter swans with four signets in a picked cornfield. So when I arrived home, my wife reported 46 swans in a field on the south side of Perch Lake, possibly our first tundra swans of the year. Uh, Richard Green of New Ulm emailed me. He said, we've had a very low bird population in New Ulm lately, and there weren't many insects on my windshield this past summer either. The enclosed article from the Atlantic magazine may shed light on this very serious problem. I... um, I wrote about this a while back in a newspaper column, and I'll, I'll quote a little bit of from that column. Uh, somebody had written in and said, Are insect numbers declining? And I uh, replied, I'll let Professor David Goulson of Sussex University in the UK answer this one for me. This, again, is Professor Goulson. Insects make up about two-thirds of all the life on Earth but there has been some kind of horrific decline. We appear to be making vast tracts of land inhospitable to most forms of life and are currently on course for an ecological Armageddon. If we lose the insects, then everything is going to collapse. His research was published in a journal, and at PLOS1, P-L-S-O, 
PLOS, I'm sorry, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, PLOS 1, is based on the work of many amateur entomologists across Germany. Tents called malaise traps captured over 1,500 samples of flying insects at 63 nature reserves. And then each sample was measured, revealing a startling decline. Again, this is in Germany. The annual average had fallen 76% over a 27-year period. Goulson said that the cause is open to debate. It could be due to a lack of food for the insects, an exposure to chemical pesticides, or a combination of the two. So uh, I'm sure there'll be some um, studies that are probably long underway here in the United States. But again, this from Germany, so they've had a 76% decline in insects over a 27-year period. Yeah, see, with the insects, I, I, I would say that there's never been a decrease <laughs> in insects in my, <laughs> my yard. My goodness, there's so many. Now, you were mentioning birds, and I talked about this with you off the air, about when I was in Wasika on Saturday. I was at a, a regional master gardener uh, workshop, and so I sort of got lost because there was a detour, and I get lost pretty easily. And I came across, I was, it was up ahead on the road, and it was a gravel road because I was <clears throat> lost, like I said. My husband would be laughing at me. But I looked up ahead like there was ruts on each side of the road that were totally black, and I thought, are those filled with oil? Because it just looked like these two, you know, tracks of just solid black, and I thought it was like oil or something. Was I seeing a mirage? And as I, drew, as I drove closer, the, uh, the oil slicks started to rise from the sky, and it was thousands and thousands and thousands of red wing blackbirds. And I was just amazed. It was, they, and they just kept coming and coming. And I had my camera in the front seat. So I just started snapping away. And I posted them on Facebook. And I know you were able to see them through your wife Gail's um, page. And, and uh, it was just a wall of, of black. It was uh, like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And uh, I mentioned to you again off the air that these blackbird flocks are primarily right now red-winged blackbirds, but there can also be grackles, starlings, cowbirds, brewers, blackbirds, all mixed in with those. And it was um, interesting because not long before that, Bernie Sonic had, uh, from Minnesota Lake had contacted me and said, you know, I'm just not seeing these big flocks of blackbirds this year like we do most years. And uh, some of them do go south uh, quicker than others, but I think we'll be seeing some really huge flocks. And we usually see them around corn picking time, so and they're they're hard after the corn now. When we think about these flocks, how big and long they can be, there are some old accounts about Native Americans talking about passenger pigeon flocks. Passenger pigeons are now extinct, but they'd say passenger pigeons would start flying over their campsites when they got up in the morning and when they went to bed at night the end of it had just gone over so all day long a passenger pigeon flock had been flying over and i i just can't imagine that because i've i've stood out in the field when these red-winged blackbird flocks fly over and they're about a mile long and it's just breathtaking to see that much but to think of all those passenger pigeons and then to think that they're we don't have any of them now. It's, uh, it's just uh, frightening. So where do those blackbirds go? Do they, um, like like geese, follow the, the river down south generally? I mean, do blackbirds follow a river too, or do they just, I mean, go down south? Where do they go? They follow the food. 
So, so rivers, build, not necessarily a river like the geese then? Not necessarily. And a lot of the starlings will stay around, so we will see them all uh, all winter in flocks. A lot of the other birds will just keep moving south a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have any perhaps designated place where they have to be. They just keep going to where the food and the weather are both good, and that's where they'll kind of hunker down. So sometimes we will see grackles, a few grackles, a few red-winged blackbirds, even a cowbird on occasion now on Christmas bird counts. So and a lot of starlings, of course, because they just hang around. But they they're just moving around now with these huge flocks and going out in cornfields and places and and eat. I was just my wife and I were talking about. It seems like everything likes corn. It's just uh, you know we had dogs on the farm that would love to eat corn and, and of course uh, the chickens and pigs and cows and everything and almost every bird that eats grain of any kind or seeds of any kind is a uh, is a corn eater so you also sent me something or sent it to gail and i think you sent it to gail and she forwarded it to me about a black bear being hit by a car yeah you know we were i was reading about the deer of course being more likely to be on the move because of hunting and also just the time of year but yeah that, that there was a story about somebody hitting a black bear and now that's something to worry about too as you're driving along the road this is a time of year to really be careful when you're going down the road because it's not just deer and bear, but it's raccoon and possums and skunks and um, you name it. They're out there walking across the road. And every year we go through this thing, and it's called the the fall shuffle. And it's just when things are moving around. They're trying to find a place to hunker down, a nice place to winter up, as you might say. And they're out there, and they're not always paying much attention to what's going down. They're not texting or anything when they're walking across the road, but they're still not paying as much attention as they should when they're going across the road. So, you know, we don't want anybody to be hurt. We don't even want your cars to be hurt. It's amazing how much damage can be done by hitting something like a raccoon on your car. It just messes things up. So really be careful, and as they say, the crepuscular times, dawn and dusk, are are the most uh, dangerous. But, you know, this time of year when uh, the guys and gals are out in the fields picking corn, it uh, chases a lot of deer and critters out all times of the day. So just be really careful out there. And, and um, if you hit a beer, uh, beer, you hit a bear, let us know about it. Or if you hit beer, too. You if, know, if you're I, I haven't seen any bear down here, though. You know, it was interesting when I was in Polk County in Wisconsin, which was Amory, Wisconsin, there never used to be a bear around there. But as, of course, urban sprawl, et cetera, it's in years uh, recent past, a lot of people see them all the time now, which wasn't common at all. So I, I guess I haven't seen any down here. Have they reached us here yet or not really? Much. There was one in Austin a oh. few years back, and they came and they used a tranquilizer. Mm. It was up in a tree, and they shot it, and the bear fell out of the tree. Then they hauled him way up north somewhere, I don't know, up around the Canadian border or somewhere to let him go. And I thought there'd be one confused bear. Yeah. I bet. He said, I was in a tree right by Hormel there, smelling the ham, and all of a sudden I'm up here. I don't have any idea where I am. So... So how that one ends, this, uh, I believe, was a young male, and it seems to be the young males of of every species or the travelers are the ones that go the most part. Well, uh, one question I better get, because we won't see them at all now, but it says, uh, 
this is from Larry. He said, how cold is it before a monarch butterfly is unable to fly? And uh, butterflies are cold-blooded, which means that their body temperatures aren't self-regulated. So a butterfly's body temperature is affected by its surrounding temperature. Butterflies can fly in temperatures as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit, but they must regulate their body temperatures and stay warm by behavioral tactics such as shivering their wings or basking in the sun. And I doubt that we'll be seeing any more uh, butterflies traveling around. I should say I doubt, you know, you never know, but uh, you just think their time of moving about would be done now. And and we miss them. I miss them already. I miss going outside and seeing butterflies flying around. They were really good company. Now you have uh, what birds? Uh, what whatever birds are left going to keep you company? Now I have deer come into my yard oh, okay. and drink all my bird water and uh, scare that my cat. Cat looks out the window and she kind of glares at one deer, but when two come, her tail just keeps getting bigger <laughs> and bigger and bigger. She just figures, well, maybe two is a little too much. Too for much her to, to handle. handle. Yeah. See, I got a postcard from our friend John, and he said he recently saw the hawk get another bird. It's his fourth one he's seen by his place. He saw, I thought it was maybe a chickadee, and then he said uh-huh. a rabbit that would stop by survive stray cats and the hawk, uh, but not a car that got it. So uh, I guess the the cars are getting rabbits too and he said uh, he's he doesn't have a garden so he'll miss it i'm not sure yeah but then he also had a question and this he had actually texted this and apparently i don't know if it was during pledge drive maybe we didn't see it or but he said so it's sort of a halloweeny kind of uh text here or a question here for you why couldn't dracula's wife get any sleep i have no idea because she couldn't (laughs) because dracula kept coughing Oh, yeah. Man, God. Oh, gosh. That one hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so there you go. So, John, we, we got your uh, joke in there for this week, and sorry we missed it in the past. But, yeah, it's, it's getting cold now, and, you know, I'm starting to, to get leaves and things raked up, and I went and took a bunch of things to my uh, compost pile. I've got a little bin. I opened the lid up, and sure enough, there was probably about eight or ten mice on top of it oh yeah because my my husband's in dumping like the from the halloween pumpkins dumped them in there and i think it's like a big buffet so i um i dumped um other more stuff on top of them and i basically what i'm doing is just i guess making a warmer home for them so there i go and we talk about the fall shuffle part of that fall shuffle is very evident for a lot of folks is that uh Mice start showing up in houses. And, <gasps> How can and I keep them out, Al? Because I know they're in the they're in the um, the bin now. I don't want them to come in the house. They patch up every little crack, and boy, I mean every little crack. It's Ugh. it's hard to keep them out. It really is, because um, I've talked to people with brand new houses, and, and they... you think nothing would be tighter than a brand new house, and all of a sudden they have a mouse in the house come fall. So um, mice are just uh, they're another. Uh, as all wild creatures are, they're just really good at what they do, and they can find a way to get in the house. So it's it's hard to keep them out. So so my thought was, what if uh, on the top of it, you know, they'll eventually come back to the top after the things I threw in settled down. Maybe I should put a sticky trap. Would that work? Would they, <laughs> they'll get a whole yeah, bunch might. of them stuck yeah. in there? <laughs> Although they'd be kind of gross. In, might indeed, yes. I'll have to let you know how that turns out. 
Well, I hope everyone will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links, as special as always, Heimlich Maneuver and Gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. You know, horror movies and horrifying TV series, they remain popular, it just uh, not just at Halloween, but all year long. And I look back on the horror movies of my youth as being more laughable and frightening. The Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein's monster weren't that scary on the big screen, nor nearly as creepy as today's zombies. The scariest movie I saw in my earliest years was a film strip shown in shop class <laughs> before we undertook woodworking. Yeah. And I think it was called Goodbye, Mr. Finger. Oh my, so, you're kidding. Remember, <laughs> remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look oh. at a bird. Uh, thank you, Karen. I appreciate uh, our Tuesdays together. and Thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate you more than I could say. Well, thank you so much, Alan. I'm glad you're feeling better and up and about. And uh, we will chat with you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.